Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Yeah, praise the Lord. Father God, I demand grace for my hearers on this particular broadcast. I'm asking God for a clear understanding of your world. I demand, Holy Spirit of God, that every heart be completely open and receptive to that, O Lord, which you intend to give out even now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Okay, friends, we continue with our subject on the rapture. And this is, uh, I would say, part three. But we're dealing with John 14. John chapter 14. Jesus made a promise there. Um, so we have rapture, John 14, last day prediction, part number five. That's where we are right now. And we're not going to deal with the issue of John 14 because this is one major scripture that have been used to portray the issue of the rapture. So, John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If you cannot so, I will have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3 said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, or receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? Now, this is one of the passages that this rapturists have used to, I would say, mislead the masses about the end times, but building in them a false hope. Yes, a false hope. A minister once said on TV that the rapture have not taken place because Jesus is busy building mansions for each of the children being born into the faith. Then I wonder if Jesus will ever come because Women are also busy giving back daily. That's how far we can go with our own belief system in giving false hope to our members who believe in every word we preach and teach. Can you picture that? That Jesus is not yet around, he's not yet come because he's building mansions for even every child that is born. This is spoken by one of the great if I may use the word in the language of man, great ministry, leader of one of the great ministries. You see that? So, child birth is not determining the coming of Christ because for every child that is born, he or a mansion should be ready. Oh, religion. Amen? So, truth be told, almost every Christian, because of the way we have been programmed, See John 14, 1 to 3 to be the hope of the church. Supposedly promised by Jesus for us to escape the persecution of the so-called Antichrist, either through the rapture or through death. Then we'll go up to heaven above and collect keys to beautiful buildings that Jesus has been constructing for us for the past 2,000 years. And yet unable to finish, I suppose. Amen? Now, let me help my audience here. Those of us listening a little bit. One of the major keys in accurate biblical interpretation 
is what we call audience relevance. But as I mean, who was the person speaking to? Whoever made the statement, who was he talking to? And why did he make the statement? For it's not like the writers. Paul was writing. Why is it writing what he was writing? What was happening? What was the prevailing situation at that moment? So these are important question you ask yourself when you're reading any particular passage. It's called audience relevance. Amen? Now, if you can answer these questions as to who was speaking, to whom and why, what was the prevailing situation, then you really can get an answer to the passage in question. You can easily get an answer to the passage in question. But the point is, what exactly was Jesus talking about? What led to this statement of his? What hope was he really presenting to the church? What does the mansion at the father's house, etc. stands for? These are the things we hope to examine in the short discussions as per the request of a brother online as well. We needed to know what John Fonny stands for. Now, in this case, Jesus was speaking to his disciples by saying, let not your heart be troubled. Now, where did it happen? Of course, it did happen in the upper room. In the upper room. Why? Because at the time, remember, they were disturbed when he told them in chapter 13 that he was going to be betrayed and killed at Jerusalem and then Peter is going to deny him three times. And one of them, right there on the table with him, will betray him. These were the things that transpired in John chapter 13. So you see, you can get the answer to the passage without, you can't get the answer to this passage without first going back to chapter 13 and what led to this statement. So when he said, let not you have it troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, my father's house and many mansions, John 41 and 2. Why do you think he made this statement? Like I said, you consider the following reasons. One, the disturbance that was in the heart of the disciples as a result of the prediction of his betrayer and subsequent death. John 13, 21 to 30. You can take time to read that. Number two, that Peter will soon deny him. John 13, 36 to 38. So ultimately, Jesus made this statement to strengthen their faith as a result of the confusion that was already developing in their hearts. Come to think of it, for the apostles to begin to hear that the Messiah they have so trusted in, that have walked in for three and a half years, performing signs and wonders, will suddenly be betrayed, arrested and killed. To them all hope as to what the future holds, and even as to who else to believe in as their leader was lost. They were lost completely. How could this happen? Remember, 
And when the, 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 sons, the children's sons of Bebedi, they came and asked a question. Their mother came and said, Will you permit my children want to sit on your right hand or to sit on the left hand in their kingdom? They have the hope of a physical kingdom coming into place. So the apostles, they were more or less like kingmakers. They were preparing themselves to be the one to walk with Jesus in the kingdom. Because they envisaged a literal kingdom. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the position of the son of David to sit on his throne. Are you there with me? Hallelujah. So they lost hope with this kind of statement coming from Jesus. In that which is called the Last Supper. They were lost. So this was a thought that Jesus designed in their hearts. That led him to making the statement in question. Let not your heart be troubled. John 14 verse 1. So why did he say this? Then he said, but now I go my father. For instance, we look at the book of John 16, 5 to 6. Now I go to my father, to him that sent me. And none of you ask me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. You must understand that John chapter 14 through 16, 17 were a continued dialogue that Jesus had with the disciples when he came from the, right there in the upper room. He had all of the discussion. The whole of chapter 14 down through 17 were more or less his final words before he went to the cross. So in chapter 14 he said, Let not your heart be troubled. 14 verse 1. Then when we get to chapter 16, 15 to 16 he says, Then I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me without goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow have filled your heart. Amen? Are you following it? However, since you believe in God, that John chapter 14 verse 1, what was the belief? That he, can, he promised to protect his own in the Old Testament. You can find that in Jeremiah 33 verse 3. When he said, Yea, he loved the people, all his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet, everyone shall receive of thy words. Not that. He loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. Now if you look at Isaiah 43 verse 13. He said, yeah, because, I mean, before the day was, I am. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will walk. And we shall let it be. Hallelujah. So when he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. What he meant to tell them was, like in the Old Testament, you believe God can protect his people. You also have to believe now that in the New Testament that I'm going to set up, I can protect my people. Because, you know, in John 10, 29, he said that the sheep which the Father has given to me, no man is able to pluck them out of my hands. John 10, 29. Amen. So he said, if you believe God in the Old Testament, the promises that he made in Deuteronomy 33, verse 3, and Isaiah 43, verse 13, you also believe in me. Can you see that? He is giving them hope because they were afraid of persecution that was going to come. He is leaving them. You remember the story, what he said in the book of Matthew? A time is coming when the shepherd shall be, shall be, shall be smiting and that the sheep will scatter. 
I mean, they were really in a state of dilemma. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. And fear has gripped them. The next thing is, oh, now we're following this man. And we are already being persecuted. What about by the time he leaves us? What happens? What's going to be the next state of our being? This is what was troubling these people. What Jesus was beginning to give them these promises. You believe in God, believe also in me. For no man is able to pluck them out of my hand or sort that the Father has given unto me. You see that? I want you to see why Jesus made the statement that he made. So, this is the trouble they had. And Jesus went into a series of explanation and clarification to strengthen their faith. Are you following it? Now, as the discussion continued, and Jesus began to explain to them his death, resurrection, and the work and release of the Holy Spirit, that is chapter 14 through 16, the faith of the disciples began to rise as true understanding was not beginning to dawn on them. As a result, they declared, By those who believe that I come from God, John 16, 20 and then 30. By those who believe that you really came from God. Their faith was not rising. Their conviction was not coming up. It was stronger than it was in the upper room in John 13. Praise the Lord. Are you following it? Good. Then Jesus replied when he said, By this we believe that I commence forth from God. Jesus now replied, Do you believe? I mean, do you not believe? Behold, that is John 16, 31 to 33. Do you not believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and is now come, that they shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. This thing have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I will overcome the world. John 16, 31-33 Praise the living God Are you saying that? Okay Let's quickly look at the issue of the rapture question Having looked at the above passage of scripture Can we say that Jesus had the issue of rapture in mind While talking to the apostles And of course his, his disciples? No Not of course How could he be talking of rapture in the saints At the same time be telling them to be brave in the world. Because that's what it means when they be of good cheer. Be brave in the world. Brave towards what then? Here again, the indication is that they should have tribulation in the world. But because they are in him, they shall have peace. Like you find in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. What makes up the world that the tribulation is coming from? Because this is where we always have it wrong. We always get it wrong when we think the world has to think about a planet or the globe. What is the world that they have to overcome? What constitutes the world that will produce the tribulation? The Greek word used here in that John 16 is cosmos. which speaks of the system of the world. It speaks of mankind, the human race that is hostile to God. Those with Christ and his disciples. It talks about orderly arrangement, that is decoration, by implication the world in a wider or narrow sense, including its inhabitants.
You can check John chapter 7 verse 7, 15, 18, 19, and then John 17 verse 4, and Revelation 13 verse number 8. Amen? John 7 verse 7, John 7, 15, John 7, 18 and 19, then John 17 and verse 14, and then Revelation 13 verse number 8. To define what the world means. The world speaks of people. The inhabitants of the world. The world is not speaking about a globe. This is what Rico says. In John 1 verse 10. He was in the world. What does that mean? That is. He took his residence amongst mankind. And the world. Mankind was made by him. And the world. Mankind knew him not. He's not talking about the, 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 the creature in terms of maybe the, the trees, the oceans, the animals. They don't have to know him. The people that never knew him have to do with human beings, especially the Jewish people. Can you see that? So he was in the world amongst his people, amongst humanity. And the world mankind knew, made, was made by him. He created all things. And the world knew him not. You see the meaning? This is the world that he was telling the disciple They are going to overcome Because they are in him Because he himself has overcome the world Praise the Lord Therefore Christ in, in, in his intercessory prayer For the saints To be able to resist The, the evil system of man Said According to John Chapter uh, 17 And the 9 14 and 16 you take time to read. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, the Antichrist system of man, the beastly nation, but for them which I have given me, which thou have given me, for they are thine. I've given them the world that they might trust and resist the evil one with the world. I go into Psalm 119, verse 41 to 42, Psalm 50. I mean, so 119 verse 50 and then 161 even as himself did overcome the devil in mighty chapter 4 remember that so he said I've given them thy word and the world the business system of mankind of Revelation 13:8, hated them because they are not of this world even as I'm not of the world John 17 9 14 and 16 then in verse 15 he said Father, I don't ask. Listen to this. Very important. I don't ask you to take my followers out of the world. But keep them safe from the evil one. You find that in the century English version, verse 15. I'm not asking you to remove them from the world. Don't take them away from amongst mankind. But to protect them from the evil one. That's what the Jerusalem Bible says. So here he prays against that which you call the rapture. I don't know if you can say it. Don't take them out of the world. By what means do you think? The way we believe is, okay, don't take them out of the world. It has to do with which way do we expect to go? By the rapture. But he had to listen to what he prayed for. I mean, are you, are you, are you going to doubt the fact that God will answer the prayer of Jesus? Don't take them out of the world. That is the prayer he prayed. Hallelujah. 
you you want God to come. Somebody told me recently there's now a movement that is praying for God to come take up the saints. Oh come on. This is where we get the whole the whole stuff wrong. Now here he's saying, I'm praying, don't take them out of the world. Don't do that. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm asking, who is God gonna answer? You who wants to go or his son? Who prayed that you should stay in this world? Now why did Jesus pray this prayer? It is simply that through the church, the world, mankind, that are so hated Jesus, they believe in him whom they never believed in. You can look at that in John chapter 1 verse 10, 16 and verse 19. For the world's sin is unbelief. The greatest sin of the world is unbelief. They never believed in him. They never trusted him. They never till tomorrow. They don't want to receive him. John chapter 8, 21, 24. You can take a look at that. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Praise the Lord. So, what do we say here? He said, God, don't take them out of the world. And because the world never believed in him while he was here. So while the church is right here, the world will finally get to believe in who Jesus is because he's head of the church. Praise the Lord. So again, John 17, 20, 21. Neither pray I for these alone, that is the early apostles, but for them, you and I, both of us, also we shall believe in me through thy word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that they want to believe that I have sent me. Oh, glory to God, glory to God. Can you see anything here? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Therefore, it is the presence of the church in the world, amongst mankind, that will eventually make the world, mankind, to believe in Jesus. Whom they have never believed in, even while he was alive physically as a human being. So, should there be any rapture of the church, it will mean that Christ's prayer was not answered by God. That's the implication. Are you still there? It means the world, I mean the prayer of Jesus was not answered by God. Amen? And the whole of mankind that is I'm trying to give you the implication of what we are believing. The whole of mankind for whom he died, first John chapter two verse two, will eventually perish because of their unbelief. Remember, it's leaving the church behind, he has all the church to stay so that the world can believe in him. Through the church. But you rapture the church was an accident. The world will perish. But remember he died for the world. Not just for believers. He didn't die for believers. He died for the world. Amen. Are you with me? I need you to get this right. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Now if you look at that John. First John rather. First John chapter 2 verse number 2. What did he say? Now verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye see not. And if any man see, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, righteous, verse 2, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Praise the Lord. So now, the whole world has not believed in him, except for the church. And he's saying the prayer there in John 17, Father, don't remove them out of the world. These people never believed in me, even though I died for them. But with the church, through the church, which is my body, and as they are united as one, the world will finally come to believe in who I am. Are you seeing that? That's, that's the kind of prayer that he prayed. Praise the living God. So, basically, John 14 is to encourage the saints to be able to fulfill the will of God for us. The saints are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, mankind. John 5, 13, 14. Even as his life is the light of men, John 1, verse 4. It is this life that overcomes the world, the system of men, of man, the Antichrist. Therefore be of good cheer. I'm leaving you behind, but I have a life that I'm depositing in your life that will enable you to overcome the world. Because while I was in the world, that light that was in me enabled me to overcome the system of the beast, which is mankind. So be of good cheer, you got a light. Now you are the light of the world. Take away the church by the way of the rapture, the whole world gets into darkness. I mean, friends, listen, God is not going to think about that. It's just your own widest imagination. God is not involved in that. God is not prepared for such a thing. The whole world will go back into darkness. Can you imagine that? Hallelujah. Now, understanding the term Father's house, let's progress. He said in my father's house, how many mansions? John 14, verse 2. Now, you already know why Jesus made that statement, right? So now, what exactly does the term father's house mean? What is a house? How does the Bible apply this term? What did Jesus really mean by my father's house? The Hebrew word for house is by it. And in it, you speak of a house, basically a family. Look at it. A family. Talks about a temple. In the Greek, it is orkia. And abo by implication, a family. Specifically domestic. Home, house, or household. The now form of orkia is orkiakos. And it means familiar. That is relatives. Them of his own household. I want you to understand the word house. Now it is clear from this about simple definition. But when we are talking of a house. As used in the scriptures. We are referring to a realm of existence. A family. That is made up of individuals. Who are close to one another. And not necessarily a physical building. Look at the following or how the word is used in the Bible. For instance, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 to verse 7. Genesis sent, I mean, Abraham sent Eliezer the servant to go get a wife for Isaac from among his own relatives. You know the story. Genesis 24. Now, when Eliezer got there, 
This is what he said. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house. First of all, Abraham was saying this now to Eliezer. When he was to send him out to go get Rebekah for Isaac. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house. And from the land of my kindred. Can you get that? Then he said, Thou shalt go and take a wife unto my son from thence. He go there and take a wife from my son. Genesis 24, 1-7. You just read through that. Did you get that? So Abraham has a father's house. What that means is relatives. NIV says, The Lord who brought me out of my father's household and my native land. Did you get that? He wasn't talking of a building. God in fact took him out of a building. The New Century Version says, The Lord who brought me from the home of my father and the land of my relatives. Oh, praise the Lord. So, Abraham's father's house was his immediate family from amongst whom God called him. Not a physical building. For God did not call him from his father's physical building but from amongst his relatives. Is it clear? Is it making sense to you? Hallelujah. Again we find that in Genesis 46 verse 31 Joseph made a very strong and profound statement about this particular use of the word father's house. Right there Joseph spoke unto Pharaoh when the brethren finally got to him in Egypt. Is that okay? I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him my brethren are my father's house who were in the land of Canaan are come unto me. Hallelujah. Genesis 46 verse 31. I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren, I am my word father's house who were in the land of Canaan are come unto me. So we see that Joseph's father's house were his brothers who went to him in Egypt. Praise the Lord. Are you there? He spoke to them and said And Joseph said unto his brethren And unto his father's house I will go up and show unto Pharaoh My brethren my father's house Come unto me You see that So the new century version said My brothers and my father's family Has come unto me I want you to understand how the word is used So from this it's clear That Joseph's father's house That went to him in the land of Egypt where his immediate brothers and extended family circle. Yet again we see that Joseph never carried the physical building called the father's house of Egypt. You just read again Genesis 41, 51, 47, 12, 50, verse number 8. But, he was talking about his extended family circle, was his father's house. And Joseph continued to live in Egypt with all his father's family. Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Joseph continued to live in Egypt with all his father's family, which is father's house now. Genesis 50:22. Can you get that? Similarly, we, read, we, read of, we can read of the, the case of Rahab the Harlot in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, 12 and 18. Rahab's father's house, where our relatives in Jericho. And so we look at that in, in, in the book of Joshua. 
like I said, chapter verse 25, Rehab the prostitute, her family, father's house, and all who were with him were saved. I mean, with her, were saved. Is that okay? Judges chapter 6 verse 15, were read of Gideon, father's house. When God picked him up and said, you come, I'm going to send you out again in the Midianite, go in this strength of thy, I mean of thy, and then we remember, Gideon said, oh my Lord, Judges 6.15 Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my father is poor in Manasseh And I'm the least in my father's house Can you see that? I'm the least in my family uh, It's like saying I'm the youngest in my family So, it's absolutely clear That if his father's house means nothing more than a person's relatives David's father's house was his relative that went to him at the cave Abdullam in 1st Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 in the same vein Moses was raised up in his father's house three months at chapter 7 and verse 20 are you following me? may I be able to tell you my dear brothers that as far as this father's house is concerned it refers to the members of an individual's particular family. Therefore, the best way to understand the language of Jesus is that he was referring to God's family, in which is a firstborn son. Is that okay? Romans 8.29 As a firstborn son. He was referring to God's family. And he is a firstborn son among many brethren. So, Jesus wasn't in any way referring to a physical building there up in the heaven, but his family members. And don't be deceived with a false hope. Jesus never promised us a physical building up in heaven. Now that was Jesus promising a rapture in John 14. It's a religious belief. So what's the next thing? Let's try to look at the Father's house in terms of what is Jesus' Father's house now? Properly, let's take, take a look at this. Because he said, Let not you have the trouble, believe you believe in God, believe also in me. Remember what I said, I can protect you. In my father's house, I'm in a mansion. It were not so, I will have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now we have seen that Abraham had the father's house, Rehab got a father's house, Joseph got a father's house, all of them speak of their relatives. David got a father's house. Moses was raised up, Acts 7.20, in his father's house. So now Jesus said, In my father's house are many mansions. If not so, I will have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. The first thing I need you to understand here is that Jesus said the house was already in existence. This is like a reporter speech. In my father's house. I'm telling you what's in my father's house. So it's not talking of going to prepare a house. I don't know if you have thought about this. In my father's house. That's like a reported speech. He's trying to describe to you or for you what is already in his father's house that is already in existence. In my father's house. So, he wasn't saying he's going to build one house for you when he gets to heaven. He's only reporting what is already there or else. He will let them know there isn't anything up there. Just time to read it again with an open mind 
In my father's house are many mansions. If we do not sow, I will have told you. That is, if there were not many mansions in my father's house, I will have told you. But I'm trying to tell you that this house is already existing and there are many mansions in this house. Is it making sense? Hallelujah. So then, what is Jesus' father's house? My father's house are many mansions. Let's get a simple definition. There's an interesting story in, in Mark chapter 3 verse 31 to 35. Here we are told that Jesus' biological relative came to him. But he could not reach them. They could not reach him because of the multitude. He was teaching this particular place. He had to be informed that thy mother and thy brethren without, that the outside, seek for thee. And he answered them and said, saying, Who is my mother? Or my brethren? And he looked around them on them who sat, who sat about him. That is no listening to his teachings. And said, Behold, look at my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Can you see that? Are you getting this? His relatives came to him. Biological family came to him. And he said, No. These people listening to me and can do the will of God. They are my father, my mother, and my brethren. Amen. Do you see why he's the first born again, like I said, among many brethren? Romans 8.29 So, we can see that those who constitute the relatives of Jesus Christ at this hour are those who are receiving and abiding the word of God to do his will. This includes you and I. This new family of God is nothing more than the church of Jesus Christ that was brought into existence through his sacrifice on the cross and is reconciling us who were lost sheep and enemies in our mind to the works of Adam back to God. You can check Ephesians 2, 10 to 22 and Colossians 1, 21. Amen. This is the house of God. What is the house of God? I'm just talking about the relationship of Jesus Christ at this moment. Are those who are abiding by the word of God to do his will. And that includes you and I. This is a new family of God with Jesus as the head of this family. It's nothing more than the church himself. That Jesus brought into existence through his death and resurrection. And reconciling us back to God. Are you following me? Now, look at Ephesians 9, 2 verse 19 to 22. It simply says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. The New Century Version says, You belong to God's family. So, and you are part of the that building which God has built as a place for God's own spirit to live in. Praise the Lord. CEV translation. I'm just looking at Ephesians 2, 19-22. Because it talks about how that the build for the habitation of God through the spirit. Verse 22. And it calls that the household of God. So, Verse 28 of Ephesians 1 says, 
through him that Jesus we bought all races have answered by one spirit that was released on the day of Pentecost remember unto the father we all have one access to the father in fact first peter 1 i mean first peter 3 18 says he died that might bring us back to god so reading on in ephesians say by one spirit are we are baptized brought into one body that is now for other bodies one and have many members and all the members of that one body being many members of one body one family so is Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. You can look at Galatians 3 verse 27. Are you getting this? There's one body, which is one family, many members. And the church is what we're describing. And this one body is called the church, according to Ephesians chapter 1, 22-23. It is the head of the body, which is the church, Colossians 1 verse 18. Now, let's look at an interesting passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. And this is what the Bible says. Here is a comparison of the ministry of Moses and that of Jesus. Verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful all of his house. Whose house? God's house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Insomuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. Are you following it? Praise the Lord. Verse 4 says, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, hallelujah, as a son over his own house, Whose house are we? If we hold for the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope firm unto the end. Hebrews 6, one, I mean Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. The question is, where was God's house that Moses served in? Was it up in the sky? The answer says no. Rather, it was a church in the wilderness. Like you can see in the book of in the book of of Acts chapter number seven, Moses was faithful in the church that was in the wilderness, and that is what the Bible is referring to as the house of God. Acts chapter seven, and look at verse thirty-eight. Hallelujah! This is the this is he. That was in the church in the wilderness. With the angel who spoke to him in the Mount Sinai. And with our fathers. Who received the lively oracle to give unto us. Was it describing? Moses. The church in the wilderness. Did you see it? 
And then of verse 7, so uh, listen, I want you to get this right. It's comparing two ministries, Moses and Jesus. And he said, Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. Remember, we are discussing in my father's house, which is God's house. So here the scripture is saying, Moses was faithful in God's house. So I'm asking, where was the house to which Moses was faithful in? Of course, Acts 7.38 tells us, he was a faithful servant in the church in the wilderness. Where he got the lost for the people of Israel. And now verse 6 emphatically declares that we Christians are the house of God. To which Christ is now the head. The living Bible is so good on this. Say Christ, God's faithful son, is a complete child of God's house. And we Christians are God's house. Hallelujah. We Christians are God's house. Are you seeing that? Hebrew 3, verse number 6. Living Bible. Can you see these people? Hallelujah. So now, when Paul was writing Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, look at what he says. But if I tarry long, that I mayest know how that oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. I take it again. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Can you see that? So may I remind you here that a church, which is the house of God, is made up of all true believers and the departed saints. Made up of the terrestrial, which is what we are in a bodily form, and the celestial, which has to do with those in the spirit dimension. You may need to understand, when you look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it's important that we take a look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, you read from verse 1, for instance, what do you see there? Hebrews 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin without beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What is the key point there? We compass it by with the cloud of witnesses. What is it referring to? Hebrews chapter 11, all the saints of old. Look at that. Hebrews 11, 13 and 40. Look what it says. And these all, having obtained a good report, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rahab, Samson, Gideon, all of those people, what did Bible say? All these having obtained a good report, through faith received not the promises. The promise. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In other words, they can't come to perfection without us. We are coming to perfection in the same dimension, the same time. And so, you go to verse 22, and look at what it says. But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Now look at verse 23, to the general assembly, and what? The church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirit of just men made perfect. Can you get it? The spirit of the departed saints made perfect. So we've come together. Now we can't see them, but they can see us. So the church is made up of the celestial and the telestial realm. Is that okay? 
the terrestrial realm and the celestial beings. That's what makes up the church of God. Praise the loving God. Are you following this? Amen. The Bible says, And Jesus in the strength of all, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speak a better thing than that of Abel. Praise the Lord. So, the church of the firstborn, which is the city of the living God, like you find in the book of uh, uh, um, the book of Revelation, you find the same body, which is the bride, the wife, the church, Revelation 21, 9-10, to 10, you begin to read of the bride. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had a seven vows full of seven vows full of the last plague, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Did you get this now? So the church of the Father is the same thing as the church of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And as the body seen by John coming down out of God and described as the Lamb's Jesus wife. Praise the Lord. Having the glory of God. Having the glory of God. Verse 11. Praise the Lord. Can you follow what I'm saying, people of God? Therefore, when Jesus said, In my father's house, he wasn't referring to the he was referring to the church. The family of God better trees their resurrection and the release of the Holy Spirit. So, the word, let not you have a trouble. In my father's house, how many mentioned? It was simply an assurance to the apostles not to be worried. They are just going to be alone as believers. But in this case, that all that are going to be saved, to be part of them. And they are not going to be just alone, single people, few ones, that make up the church, the Father's house. Are you following this? He was just assuring them, listen, yes, I told you I'm going to go away, but don't let you have a trouble. If God can protect his own people, I'm going to protect you as long as you trusted me. And not just that. There are other people. So the word in my father's house, a mini mansion, well, I say, you are not going to be the only believers that believe in me. More people are going to come in that makes up this house that you now are simply the foundation. You are now the foundation of this church, of this house of God. But others are coming in. So don't let you have a trouble. Don't be agitated. Don't get confused that persecution is going to overrun you. You are going to overcome this world just like a deed of a calm. And not just that, other people are going to join up with you. This house is going to be expanding and exploding and it's going to fill the hearts. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you get what I'm saying, people? This is a promise that Jesus made to the disciples. The Father's house is not a physical building, but a people redeemed unto God. It is a family of God. It is a church of the living God. That's the Father's house. Father's house is not a building. So, don't you ever think or have any hope that one day you're going to go upstairs and God is going to give you some keys to some building. Some will even tell you, oh, if I like, can even get a boy's quarter. Oh, if I like, can give a little corner, just a little corner. 
Come on, don't stop deception, man. Come out of this. God intend to make you into someone else upon the face of the earth. You know what? Man is the image and the glory of God. And God is intending to bring you back to that same place of glory. Hallelujah. The very status and position that Adam was before he fell. Summarily, what am I saying? Jesus was saying in the church, there are many places that God is going to have resident in. Amen? That's what he was talking about. And in something of broadcast, I'm going to define for you the many mansions. Suffice it for now for you to understand this one thing. The whole of John 14 was an encouragement to strengthen the brethren because he told them in John 13 that he was going to go away. Betrayed, killed in Jerusalem. That's why it's called the last, but that was the last one they had. Are you following that? And with that situation, they were agitated, they were worried, they were disturbed. Fact, in fact, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, come on now. And then someone right here eating with me now is going to betray me. Um, everybody, am I the one? Who is the one? Hallelujah. They were confused. And here was a man, they've been following who they believe was the Messiah to set up his kingdom to deliver Israel from the hand of the Romans. And he's talking about being killed again. Oh, come on now. What a bundle of confusion was in the heart of these people. And so they needed to know God needed by Christ to console them. And that's what brought that statement. So you truly can understand John 14 until you go back to John 13. So they were simply saying, no, 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 no. You're going nowhere. Listen to me. I am going to die fine, but that is not the issue. You don't have to be worried. I can protect you. If you believe that God protects his people in the Old Testament, this is a New Testament I'm putting into place. And if God protects the old people there, I'm going to protect you. Are you following me? In this house, which is this fellowship, which is this congregation, which is this church that I'm putting together, there are many other people. You are not alone. So don't be afraid, don't be worried. You are not alone in this church that I'm building. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are not alone in that church. You are just going to be foundation members. Hallelujah. So other people are going to come to join you. That's what I mean. In my father's house, I'm in a mansion. If I were to have a literal translation, this is what I would simply say. In the church of God, which you belong, there are many other, pe other people where God dwells by the Spirit. Simple. That's just what he meant to say. Don't be worried. You think you are few. You are going to be persecuted and worried. But I want to let you know, this church that I'm building, there are many other people that are going to come to join you up, be saved by my Spirit, and through my Spirit, God is going to be resident in those people, just like you. And that's what I'm going to make you see. I'll go and prepare a place for you, so that you can understand what I mean by the preparation. The preparation has nothing to do with building houses. Preparation was simply, He's going to the cross, dying, resurrecting, pouring out the Holy Spirit. I can't you to see that. Are you listening? So this is John 14. It's not a promise of a rapture. It's not a promise of heaven. It's a promise of God building His church, which is the Father's house. Don't forget that. 
Abraham's father's house, Rehab's father's house, Joseph's father's house, David's father's house. Father's house means what? Relatives. Who are the relatives of Jesus today? He is the firstborn. Romans 8 verse 29, among other brethren. We, you and I, we are the relatives of Jesus Christ. Like we find in the book of Mark, when the people came to him and said, Your brethren are looking for your Who are my brethren? Those who listen to the word of God and do his will. Very simple. So my father's house speaks of the church. Hallelujah. It's nothing to be tomorrow. Everything came into being on the day of Pentecost. I make you see this as we make progress. As long as you pay attention, as long as you are ready to listen, as long as you are ready to imbibe what is coming forth at this moment. This is a great time for us to know that God has come and visited us in a new day, in a new light, with a greater glory. Hallelujah. Once again I say it, as we make progress, you'll be able to see. God can take away the church like he prayed. I pray not that you take them out of this world. Come on now. Keep them and present them from the evil one. By implication, let them have power over that which is called the devil or what you call the Antichrist. Let them have power over him. Keep them in this world. Don't take them away. That's the prayer of Jesus. I don't know how we turn this round and we're asking God to take us away. Oh my goodness. We seemingly don't really have the mind of God. Hallelujah. So friends, I'll see you again. Much love. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.